the free for all roundtable brought to you by lexus avon canada's newest lexus dealer near canada's wonderland in the maple auto mall luxury is closer than you think round one and joining us this morning for round one on a monday morning laura babcock of power group communications host of the o show on zoom the journalist and co-founder of the line and online magazine matt gurney and last but not least john burnside the toronto city councillor uh, john i'm going to start with you only because i'm going to ask you about a story I won't ask the others about just because you're being disruptive again. I can say as a former mayor that uh, you had your days and you've moved a motion about people on the Toronto Island paying, quote unquote, their fair share of taxes, which would mean, let's be candid about it, a tax increase for them because they're not paying as high taxes perhaps as others in the city at the moment. Yeah, I'd say that's an understatement. So the average person on the island pays about fifteen to $1,600 in property tax. And the average person, I looked at the average um, per apartment dweller of a one-bedroom apartment in Fleming Park, which is a neighborhood improvement area, so you're not talking luxury. Within their rent, they pay about $4,200 in taxes. So the the discrepancy is quite large. The cost of delivering services on the island is, well, let's just say the average cost of uh, Toronto Fire responding to a call is $3,000. On Toronto Island, it's $30,000. Um, so, but for me, it's not even the, the huge uh, discrepancy in the cost of delivering service is the fact that people have a pretty sweet deal there. Uh, we always like to talk about equity and fairness and all those uh, great um, adjectives. And um, so uh, there's my motion. I know I've uh, rankled or riled some people up and uh, that's coming to council. Well, I think, uh, raising the Toronto Island, I can assure you as a veteran of this from both provincial and federal politics going all the way back to when I worked for Premier Davis like 40 years ago, the island is just one of those ones where you kind of go, wow, that's putting the cat among the pigeons. So we'll leave it, uh, Laura and Matt, to you to talk about this issue when uh, John's motion is debated and we see what the the outcome is. Uh, can I get to one that's right on the table now and is being debated and it's been debated here before, but now we're a little closer to reality with the announcement of the fact that Toronto will have six games, six World Cup uh, soccer games in 2026 and uh, including the first ever game played by our national team on uh, Canadian soil that will happen in Toronto on June the 12th, uh, 2026. Laura, is it like one of those events? I know Hamilton, where you are, um, has had the Commonwealth Games before and I remember there were debates about whether that was a good idea or a bad idea. Will the debate on it being a good or bad idea go on until the minute uh, that the players take the pitch on June 12, 2026, or will it get over with at some point? Well, I'd hardly equate FIFA with the Commonwealth Games. I mean, that's an anachronistic concept, and the games are don't make a lot of money. In fact, other cities don't even want to bid for Commonwealth Games, so I've never supported the Hamilton Commonwealth Games bid. Uh, it just doesn't make a good business case, John, and we have so many other pressing issues. With FIFA, it's a different level, right? Like you said, it's an endless Super Bowl. In our house, my husband's Croatian, uh, we have a basement that gets converted into a World Cup pub and the entire neighborhood comes for every single game. It's insane. So, I mean, it, around here, World Cup is a highly visible activity. It's very, very well supported. And I imagine that Toronto hosting or Canada hosting some of the games uh, is going to make a big, not just economic impact on the days of the games, but the visibility can't be beat. You have a global audience. Uh, it's, a, it's a growing sport, if anything, and it's an accessible sport, which is 
why I think soccer is growing so quickly. To play hockey is a privilege. It's extremely expensive. But soccer, I mean, my, my father-in-law used to, they used to roll up socks and play soccer in the streets in Croatia and Istria. So, I mean, it is a game that the world can access. And I think it's an excellent investment and opportunity in Toronto. And I hope we can just get on and make the most money off of it and have a good time and, and not fight about the cost. God, where were you when I needed you? <laughs> I mean, you said it better than I did. Not that that uh, takes much effort. Matt, uh, are you uh, thinking this is going to be uh, turn out to be uh, a good investment in the end and a, and a good thing that will bring some joy to uh, people here? Uh, or is it something that we should just uh, have stayed away from, my, my hindsight being 2020? Well, it's funny, John. You say a minute ago that you needed more Laura's a couple years ago, and all you had was me's because, like, there were guys like me out there. Well, that's not to diminish you. I mean, you're no Laura, Matt, but, you know, I appreciate the fact you were there, too. Anyway, go ahead. Well, we, we, we all have our pros and cons, I guess, uh, highs and lows. But, look, yeah, I'm, I, I kind of have a weird attitude on this, and I, I am on the record. I literally wrote a column about this once, that I absorb all soccer like an anthropologist visiting, like, a new civilization. Like, soccer's not my game. I don't get it. I don't know the rules. So, to me, the World Cup would be sort of like discovering ancient pyramids or something in a civilization I don't know anything about. It's like a bigger, more ostentatious display of something I don't understand. If it's good for the city, if it, if it draws tourism, like, okay, like, I'm not going to be a total curmudgeon about this, but I kind of just get the feeling, like, every four years, there's a couple of weeks where I don't understand why people are wearing matching shirts, and, like, there's honking at random times, and I, I don't understand what's happening. It's confusing and upsetting. Now all of that's going to be in my hometown. Look, my kids are probably going to like it. My kids both like soccer. They understand it. So there's probably going to be some excitement for them. And I'm sure there'll be buzz among some of my friends about, hey, should we try to get tickets or should we go to a bar or whatever? Should we go to Laura's house and hang out with her husband? Like, <laughs> There's going to be opportunities, I guess, for me to immerse myself in this. But I just, I'm kind of baffled by the whole thing. And I'm kind of not looking forward to it. Not, not as a taxpayer, just as a guy who's going to have to talk about it for weeks. Well, it's interesting because Laura sounds like she's well informed about all of this. I guess she has no choice uh, given that her, right. house is, her house is taken over uh, when World Cup comes. Well, it's two years away and there's lots to uh, discuss between now and then and I just think it will be something that will totally take over the city with positive excitement and I've said that to I've said it to Premier Ford, I've said it to Mayor Chow and others uh, because I think that's exactly what's going to happen. Uh, on a more somber note, we do have uh, the justice system uh, taking uh, you know center stage today in that we've had all kinds of stories about this uh, very troubling uh, incident uh, in London that happened in the wake of the World Cup of Junior uh, Junior Hockey uh, back in 2018, uh, involving uh, a, an alleged sexual assault by a number of players who now have been suspended or otherwise taken a leave from their hockey playing uh, in the NHL, most of them, four out of five, I think. And uh, But I think we have to remind ourselves, uh, and maybe I'll start with you on this, John, that um, you know, this is the beginning of a long process, and that's not to pass judgment on anything anybody's saying about this, but it's the beginning of a long process, which is called uh, everybody's day in court, including the uh, alleged victim and the alleged perpetrators. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we have talked about it a lot, and there'll be a lot more conversation. I guess what um, surprised me is that everyone was so surprised by this story. Uh, anyone in the hockey world knows that this type of behavior, and I'm not prejudging this one, I don't know the exact details, obviously, but that is that is the, you know, the type of behavior that has gone on in numerous situations across many decades. You know, that surprise in the hockey world was sort of like when people were so surprised about Harvey Weinstein, 
right? Like everyone knows it. It's, and now it's just out in the open and everyone's wringing their hands. Um, but no one did anything. Laura, it looks to me it's unusual that the police would have given as much advance notice. I think it was about 10 days that they would have a news conference today on the 5th of February. But in, in another way, so far, and it is day one really of all this, uh, or, or, or slightly into it, it looks like it's been handled by everybody involved in a very professional manner and trying to avoid some of the, uh, you know, the, 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 I don't even know what you want to call it, the circus that can accompany these kinds of proceedings from time to time. Yeah, I mean, we've had, we've had other super trials, right? Huge trials with, with massive interests that are like circus setups. And I can remember even uh, when Gameshi was, you know, the huge throngs of the scrum outside the courthouse during his trial. And, and we can go all the way back to the Homolka trial um, and, you know, just the trucks and satellite trucks and just the craziness around it. So I'm glad that they're trying to... this. I'm glad that they're trying to approach this one cautiously. They're managing their communications around this, managing expectation, because, I mean, this story has layers of ramifications, and it's not just about, you know, what goes on with hockey culture, but it's also the fact that, you know, we're looking at how how payments were made, you know, how things were settled, where where money was coming from, and, and you had a whole bunch of hockey families going, wait, what? <laughs> you know, what's going on? And so you've got, and you know, hockey affects so many Canadian families, so many are involved in it on one level or another. And so this is whether you're watching it to see about whether or not, you know, you believe this victim and you want to see her get her justice, or you want to see these hockey players get their, their fair time in court to defend themselves, or you want to understand the role that, that hockey played as an organization, or you want to understand hockey culture. I mean, I think this is a story that has many, many narratives and people are going to be completely consumed by it. So they need to keep their comms very clear and very predictable. Again, well said, uh, Matt. One question that's just on my mind, and it may well be that it's going to be the case no matter where you had this trial around the country because it's such a huge national story. You know, is it going to be possible with the glare of publicity? And as Laura said, it hasn't yet got into the mobs, but we'll see those probably today, a huge mob of journalists and so on covering the story. Is it going to be possible anywhere in Canada for there to be, when I say a fair trial, I, I always think our trials are fair, but the, the, the one that is doesn't turn into a circus, or is it going to be something that just is, is the way it's going to be? No, I th- John, I think you said it right. It's going to be the way it's going to be. And, you know, probably you might have been able to get away with a bit uh, less of a circus uh, if it was in a very remote rural area. London is not that. London is a large enough media market that it has its own media, and it's only two hours from Toronto, the, the media hub of the country. So there will certainly be a, a media attention on this trial, and I'm sure public attention as well. If I, if I can just throw just one quick curveball here, I was reading on the weekend in the Toronto Star another in a long series of articles by uh, Jacques Gallant, a great reporter there who's been doing incredible work about overload and burnout in the court system. And he told on the weekend a really upsetting story. And I mean that very in a very literal way. I was upset reading this about a woman who had made an allegation against an associate of uh, him having sexually assaulted her. There was a mistrial. They had a new trial. Uh, a jury of 12 convicted the man of sexually assaulting her. And only after the conviction was the uh, case dismissed due to procedural delays. This is uh, an opportunity for us, and I know the attention is going to be on the victim here. I hope rightfully. I know the attention will obviously be on the accused and hockey culture and all of those things, but I think this is another opportunity for us to be reminded that there's a lot we need to be doing better in our court system generally, and particularly to stand up for victims, particularly of 
heinous crimes. This is what I'm going to hope we focus on during this. I suspect we won't, but there's nothing wrong with hoping and, hey, I've been disappointed before. Absolutely true. Uh, I'm going to uh, just move on to one last row. We've just got a minute left, and I'm going to start with you. can put you on the spot a bit, John uh, Burnside, uh, Councillor John Burnside. In Paris, they just brought in a, a charge uh, that they're going to levy of that amounts to uh, $9 per hour for SUVs parked in the city. And I think this may be a pre-Olympics thing. I'm not really sure. But it, it, the commentary that goes with it sort of says, who needs to have an SUV in the downtown of Paris? And do you think that kind of thing is coming our way? We've seen some increases in the parking rates in downtown Toronto. Uh, and that's more about revenue than it is, I think, about discouraging people from driving. But do you think we're going to see something approaching that happen here, just people advocating for that? Well, if it does, you and I are in big trouble. Um, but I, no, I don't think it's well. You know what? Everything is unpredictable at City Hall. I think that's the that's the lesson of City Hall. It won't happen this term, but it seems like there will be someone that will take that up. I think uh, congestion taxes will, in just in general, will be the the next big push. Not so much whether it's an SUV or anything else, but I could see a congestion tax being debated in the next few years. Well, that'll give us something uh, all of all of us and many more to talk about. I will say thank you to Laura Babcock of Power. Group Communications, host of the O Show, Matt Gurney, uh, who is a co-founder of The Line, an online magazine, and John Burnside, who just heard, a Toronto City Councillor. They'll be back. Uh, of course, they're all frequent contributors here on News Talk. Catch the Roundtable, round one at 7.45, round two at 8.45. Weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.